0: The last several weeks, we have promoted the opportunity to purchase a meal. A meal where the proceeds would help our kids and our students be able to get to camps this year. And so, just in case you haven't heard yet, we raised over $10,000 to get that done. You guys did great. And kids and students, you did great. Man, the lasagna was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. I believe this is such a big deal because I know the potential of what can happen in these camp settings. It is the opportunity for God encounters to happen in the hearts of our kids. And so I just want to thank you one more time for blessing our kids. And it just so happens that is right in line with what we are studying today. This story is so good. I'm excited to share it with you today. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. It made an impact on them all. And my prayer is that it will do the same For you today. So, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Whether you're joining us online, whether you're seated at one of the campuses today, we are grateful to be together. Thank you for choosing to join with us today. Luke chapter 18, here's how the story starts. Verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Now, a little bit of Jewish history here, it records how parents would often bring their children to the local synagogue. And at the local synagogue, there would be a leader or an elder of the synagogue. They were usually considered to be the people who were closest to God. Therefore, hopefully their prayers would be heard, if anybody's are going to be heard. And so they would pray for the child. The the way the custom went was, was a father would place his hands on that child, and then the elders would place their hands on the child, and they would pray for the child. One of the common prayers went like this for this child to grow up famous in the law. That's interesting. The law meaning God's law, God's instruction, right? They want this child to so know what God says, what's right, what's wrong, how do you follow him, that, that in a sense this child would become famous in the law. The prayer was that they would grow up famous in the law, faithful in marriage, and abundance, abundant in good works. Now why would the language be that way? Because in their mind... Was the kind of stuff you wanted in your life if you wanted to make sure you got into the kingdom. That's the stuff you wanted in your life if you were gonna get into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Those are often used interchangeably in Scripture. Since chapter 17, this has been the topic of conversation. Jesus teaching about the kingdom, answering questions about the kingdom. And one of the main questions was this, to whom does the kingdom belong? Who belongs in the kingdom of God? And when we say kingdom, here's what we mean. The kingdom is the realm where God rules. It's where God rules and where he exhibits his care for those who who are his. So in a way, it's the the sphere of salvation. In a a, a way, it's the realm of redemption. The kingdom is made up of those who belong to God. They're under his rule. They're under his care. It's a spiritual kingdom. One of these days, it will actually be a millennial kingdom, and there is an eternal part to this kingdom. It will never be ever end. Now here's here's the tension. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, the leaders, taught that you enter the kingdom when you achieve, we'll call it, a certain level of, of spiritual performance. Once you reach this level of religious devotion, this level of commitment, then You would be acceptable to God. Then God could forgive your failures. Then God would invite you to have eternal life in his presence. This teaching, the Pharisees, would would permeate throughout all the synagogues. And remember we learned there was a synagogue almost in every little village, every town. They would teach this throughout the synagogues. Even to the point that we recognize Jesus' own disciples are beginning to buy into this a little bit. It's affected the way they think. We know that because of what happens next in this verse. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Who's the them? The people bringing the babies. Probably parents. Parents. The disciples rebuked them. Now, the tense of the verb here is what's, what's called present, which means it's continual, which means this wasn't just a moment where some people tried to come up to Jesus and they, they, they rebuked him and pushed him away. This was something that was continuing to happen. Again, if the disciples are thinking the way somebody achieves salvation, right, the the way somebody gets gets into the kingdom of God is achieving this thing, then bringing babies to Jesus, this is just an interruption. This is pointless. This needs to be stopped. Now, we've already learned in our study of Luke that in every most every local synagogue, they taught kids. There were classes for kids. But this... The kingdom of, to to be in, to to reach such a place of, uh, uh, the kids can't understand those things yet. In their view, it wasn't appropriate for Jesus to stop what he was doing to pay attention to these little ones who don't even yet have the capacity to understand or believe. They're just babies. Mark gives us a bit of information that Luke does not give us. This is the bit of information that Mark gives us. Mark chapter 10, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That's a big word. I mean, it's big in emotion. And it is big in action. Jesus is furious. Why is he furious? Because we've got some disciples who are stopping, probably parents, people from from bringing their babies to Jesus. He is angry. This is what we call righteous anger. (laughs) This is holy anger. In other words, sometimes anger is right. This is one of those moments. When you see God angry, it's always righteous anger. I want you to let this sink in before we go any further. Jesus is furious with anyone who gets in the way of someone else getting to him. Let it sink in. Jesus is furious with anyone who who is intentionally, in this case, getting in the way of someone else getting to him. So here's where Luke picks up the story. Now, verse 16, but Jesus called the children to him. That's the opposite of rebuke. That's the opposite of send them away. To call them is to summon them, right? He, he is drawing them in. Now, the word here also is the word children. That's different than the word we just read a minute ago. A minute ago, we read babies. That's because the word in verse 15 is brephos. It it means um, nursing infants. We're talking little babies. The word here is a little different. It's the the word children. And and what we see happen is, is Jesus, in these couple of verses, he expands this principle that we're about to learn. It's not just baby babies as we think of little infants who who are nursing. It's young children. It's young children. Watch where Jesus goes with this. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. By the way, it's another one of those continual words In other words, you and I, we could insert the word ever. Don't ever hinder them. And then he makes this most amazing statement For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Well, what does that mean? They're babies. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Here's what I think Jesus is helping us understand here today. I believe it means that until a child reaches that condition of accountability, I I mean, where they stand personally accountable before God, for the work of God's law in their heart. Before they can stand personally accountable before God for the truth of the good news of Jesus. What is that good news? That Jesus died for sin, that he was buried, and on the third day he arose. Until they can stand personally accountable for before God Until that day, they are under some special, gracious, divine protection. It's an amazing statement that Jesus makes here there's no there's no caveats there's no conditions he doesn't say if, if they're babies that belong to jews he doesn't say if, if they' if their parents are faithful he, he doesn't say right if they're even a certain age he doesn't say if they 've been baptized there's no other conditions here. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these but let's be clear it's not because they're not sinners <laughs> It's not because these children are not sinners. They are sinners. If you have children, you know that children are sinners. It didn't take you long to figure that out. There is a truth of scripture where we, we are all born with a nature to sin. But in these young children, they have not yet developed. That, that sin has not yet developed to the degree that it produces a conscious resistance to the will and the law of God. When it comes to little children, how do they know what good is? If mom or dad says this is good, their conclusion is it's good. If mom or dad says this is bad, their conclusion is it's bad. In other words, the work of God's law has not yet done its work in their life. When children are really young, they do not yet understand the law of God. When when children are really, really young, they are not yet able to understand the gospel of Jesus. And so until they reach that condition of being personally accountable for that, they belong to God in a special way. Now, when Jesus uses that little phrase, such as these, see him, such as these, I love that. Because with that little phrase, he just made the group a whole lot bigger than just the children who were present on that day. He's not talking about just the children who were, who were there on this day when this, when this event is recorded. He's saying everybody in this category. What's the category? It's the category of, of, of infants, of, of babies, of, of little children. They are like the ones who were described in Jonah's story long ago who do not know their right hand from their left. They don't yet know fully Right, what right and wrong in the Old Testament, God describes them as innocent. Now here's where I'm going. There is a big question that I get asked all the time. And sometimes it is in the most heartbreaking of moments. Jeff, when a child dies, what happens to them? Like when a a little child, what, what happens to them? And I can tell you that I am absolutely convinced that Scripture is clear. They go to heaven. And today, I, I want to give you a little bit of why I believe that from Scripture. So, some, some authority that needs to go beyond just because I'm standing up here telling you I think that's what happens. Just beyond, just beyond the fact that we would all come together and go, well, we think that's what should happen. We think God should do that. Okay, but what does it actually say? What does God actually show us on this topic today? I want to give you a little bit of that because come on, if you live very long at all, you are going to find yourself in some heartbreaking moments where you are searching for such answers and they're there. There is a a text in the book of Ezekiel where God describes him making his people, Israel, his child. It's the process of him taking them to be his. And I want you to listen to how this reads. He describes them like a baby that has been abandoned in a field and i'm sad to tell you that that in ancient times when when families just decided that they did not want a baby the way that happened is they threw the baby out in the field and they let the animals take care of the rest well that's brutal good thing good thing we don't take any babies lives anymore right good thing we don't live In a society that takes the lives of babies, Uh, I better keep going. Check it out. Here's what God says on Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 4. On the day that you were born, he's talking to his people. On the day that you were born, your cord was not cut. You begin to hear the language. Nobody's taking care of you. Nobody's attending to you. Nor were you washed with water to make you clean. Nor were you rubbed with salt. I know that's a little weird, but it's kind of a disinfectant thing we, that, that they would do. Uh, you, you, were, you were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in clothes. Nobody's taking care. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by. This is God. And I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. Now, in a way, we go, that is like super gross. But in a way, I would say that is super beautiful because it is this amazing metaphor of a people who were unloved, unwanted, literally, right? Abandoned, left to die, and God saying, I loved you like an orphan who who was completely unprotected, a baby just thrown into the field. And what we find in God's word is that that metaphor that God uses for his people, it is true for all children as well. I want you to listen to how God deals with his people a little bit later in this same chapter. listen, Listen to what he says to them. Verse 20. But you, same people he's talking to, you took your sons and daughters, check out this phrase, whom you bore to me. Hmm and sacrifice them as food to the idols. Now what's going on here? Well, you got a people who have, who have not only turned their back on worshiping God, and they've started to worship some of the pagan idols, but they've also begun to adapt some of the pagan practices where they would offer children as sacrifices to those idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered, here it is again who's talking? God's talking. My children. You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to idols. In all your detestable practices and your prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare kicking about in your blood. He's like, you, 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 you don't remember. Now, here's what I want us to get. By the way, this judgment, this judgment was actually fulfilled in something called the Babylonian captivity where God's people were allowed to be taken captive. It's, it's the judgment for the, the sinfulness in their life. But here's the part I want you to see today. These children that God calls mine, he says these are my kids. They are not his children because they are children of believing Jews. They are children because they exist. (laughs) That's what he's saying. In other words, here's, here's a piece that I want you to get today. God considers all children to belong to him. And he is serious about it. He considers all children to belong to him. I'm going to give you some stories here, some more stories. Remember the story of when God's kids stand at the edge of a land that God had promised them. He brought them out of Egypt, led them there. He said, go in. They send in the spies. They scope out the place. And what's their conclusion? We can't. We can't. The enemy's too big, It's too dangerous, right? It'll destroy our families. We, we, we cannot go into the land. Well, God declared then that none of them were going in. He said, because you don't believe, right? Because because you're not willing to obey me, you're not going into this land. But then God made this statement. Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 39. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive. In other words, you're using these little ones as an excuse for you to be afraid and not not go in and take the land. The little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they'll enter the land. I'll give it to them. And they will take possession of it. Same theme. Little ones, they don't yet know they're in. That's the theme. God considers all children to belong to him. And what we read in God's word is that God considers children as innocent before him. Now again, I didn't say they don't sin but he considers them as innocent. Uh, Perhaps one of the most helpful pictures in Scripture comes from a story that we find in 2 Samuel. It's around David's story, King David. The the King David who who commits adultery, remember, with Bathsheba. Um, Then he he has her husband killed. I mean, we're, we're talking adultery, murder. It's this really ugly picture. And then the word comes from the prophet that the baby that David and Bathsheba had is going to die. And the story is that David fasted and he spent night after night just laying on the ground. The story is that the, the elders of his household would come and they would try to get him off the ground. Anybody, Anybody ever been on the ground? Because of the loss that you feel. They try to get him up, he won't get up. They try to get him to eat, he won't eat. After seven days, the story is, the child died. But nobody in the house wants to tell him. You know why? Because they're afraid of what David is going to do. If if he's already acting this way, we can't even get him to eat. We can't even, I mean, what is he going to do that hurts himself? How drastic is he going to get when he hears this news? But David hears the people whispering, and he puts it together, and he asks them, did the child die? And their answer is yes. And the story is David got up. He washed, he put on clothes, he went to worship, and then he went home and he ate. And everybody in the house is going, What is this? And they're asking David, Why? Why were you this way? When when you knew the baby was going to die, and then when when the horrible thing actually happened, now you're this way, and this is the answer that David gives them. Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse twenty-two. He answered, "While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again?" I will go to him, but he will not return to me. It's almost as though David sounds like he knows where he's going. That's because he does. And David knows that he too one day is going to pass through the grave. David is not saying here one day I'm going to be in the burial plot beside him. No, David is saying one day there is going to be a reunion where he and I will be together again. It's called heaven. It was a baby. It was a baby. One more story. It is the story in the Old Testament of a a king of Israel named Jeroboam. He was one of the most wicked kings, we would say. He's one of the kings behind the practice that was mentioned earlier where not only he who was supposed to be following God's heart instead brings in other pagan idols, he leads the people to worship these other gods and to start to adapt the practice of sacrificing their children. Here's what God says, 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 10. Because of this, I am going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it's all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. He might be serious. Jeroboam, because of your wickedness, I'm just going to clean house. Your whole family, your whole dynasty, it's over. It's almost as though God calls this for what it is. He's like, I'm going to sweep out all this dung. We're done. And every male connected to Jeroboam's family will be killed. And here's the deal. No funerals. He gives plenty of detail to it. If they die in the streets, dogs will take care of them. No funeral. If they die out in the field, birds will take care of them. No funeral. Now watch what happens next, verse 12. As for you, go back home, and when you set foot in your city, the boy will die. There was a a child in Jeroboam's family. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried because he is the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. He's just a little one. He's just a little one. He's saying, look, this child in your family is going to die But all of Israel is going to mourn, and all of Israel is going to bury him. Nobody else gets a funeral, but this baby gets a funeral. Because he's the only one in whom something good was found toward the Lord God of Israel. He's in the category of of not knowing right fully the difference in, in this wickedness that you have done, Jeroboam. He's in the category that I declare as innocent. And though he belonged to a family that is full of wickedness, he belongs to God. And the something good in him was the absence of a full rebellion against God. There is a special place in the kingdom for little ones. And in scripture, we are given evidence. It is seen most clearly in what happens to little ones that die. I have, I have heard this my whole life. I, I don't know why I would ever push against it. When, when we do get to heaven, we may be surprised that heaven will be populated more by children who were taken to heaven at death than adults. I think that's quite possible. I don't know how to refute that. And even if it's not more, I'm saying I I think about all the children throughout the ages whose lives have been taken. I think about the children in our age. And not just in countries around the world, but even in our own, where innocent lives are taken. Little ones that die, the scripture says that they, they go to heaven. They are under God's special care. The day will come, if they live, the, the day will come that, that they will reach that condition of accountability where th- there is a choice that must be made, right? Who, who are they going to follow? Who are they going to serve? And they will stand or fall on that choice of what they do with Jesus, But the evidence from scripture is so powerful. What do we do with this? I want to give you a little bit at least of what we do with this today. And then I think we're going to be able to build on this as we move forward in the coming weeks perhaps. But that phrase, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Come on, what does that mean for us as parents? What, what does that mean for us as, as um, grandparents? What, what, does that, what does that mean for, for churches, right? How, how, well, how do we get this right? And very simply, I'm just going to give you three simple words, and today is not the point to, to just flesh this out completely, but I, I at least want it on our hearts, and we're starting to return here. The first word that I think of is teach. It is to teach. Do you recognize that if you have little ones who are in this this type of, of season of their life that we've been looking at today, do you realize there is no greater time in all of their life than right now for you to pour into them the teachings of God? Because their heart's not so rebellious. They're not—they're not asking you atheist questions yet. Their their heart is moldable, right? You, you teach them, but they don't know yet what right from wrong, right? So you got to teach them. They have limited reasoning power, so they must be taught. They don't—they don't know yet the gospel of Jesus, and so you teach them. And I have a challenge today. Parents, that we would understand this responsibility falls first on us. It does. We, we don't get to push this responsibility off on somebody else. It falls first on us. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you need to do it by yourself. That's not what the Bible calls you to do. You don't need to try to pull this off in isolation. That's that's not how this works. But but the fact is, this responsibility falls first on us, and then we seek to put our kids and our family in settings like, like, like a, a church who will come alongside and help to build up and help to also teach that that's the strategy that God gives you. You say, well, look, I'm kind of a new follower to Jesus myself. How am I supposed to teach my kids? This is one of those things that I always just encourage parents. All you got to do is stay one step ahead. When it comes to teaching them things about Jesus, now I hope you eventually gain some ground. I hope you eventually get a quarter mile on them and a half mile on them. But in the beginning, all you got to do is stay one step ahead. That just means if you were in God's word today and you learned something new about Jesus, tell them. And you will be amazed at what the grace of God works in your family. And again, eventually, hopefully, you learn more and you learn more and you learn more. But man, some of the excuses that we give is just like, are you simply passing along what you are learning about Jesus? Which leads us to the second word that I want you to see. It is the word model. It is the word model. Because at this young stage in their life, what you model, they will mimic. And I love this season. I love it. Because when you say to them, let's pray. They will fold their little hands and they will bow their little head. They'll pray. You you say, Let's let's sing this song that that we learn about. They will sing the song. They don't stand there too proud, afraid to sing, afraid to applaud God, afraid to extend hands to Him. They're not yet too proud in all that. They'll follow. But it won't take them long to conclude that if all this doesn't really appear to be good for you, then it's not good for them. You've got to recognize the value of truth, God's truth for your own sake, not just for the sake of your children. And come on, I see this all the time where there's a season of life where, you know, sometimes pe- people, uh, they, they, they graduate, they, they kind of get involved in what's the next steps and they slowly take steps away from God and it's not that they hate God, it's not that they're just trying to rebel against God, they just don't really have any place for that and... But when the day comes that they have children, there comes this time where all of a sudden it's kind of this wake-up call of like, man, I think I am a kind of responsible here and I, I, I want my kids to get into the kingdom. I'm saying though, if they don't see the value of this truth for your own sake, if they don't see that, they're not gonna see it for theirs either. They will recognize a Sunday morning only faith versus a life that demonstrates the same conviction. Their their perceptive spirits will see through your hypocrisy when you're only doing something to manipulate them to respond in the way you want them to instead of truly living according to the truth that allows a joy and a freedom to come along with walking in that truth. Here's my last word. It's the one I, if you gave me, you said, hey, I, I, this is the one I want us to start to, to wrestle with a little bit. When I, when I say the word love, I'm saying let them know that your heart is with them. Because the goal here is not just instruction. The goal is that there will be instruction and there will be modeling that is wrapped in love. And if you leave this part out, if you don't wrap it in love, if they struggle to know that your heart is on them, eventually, they will question the value of the instruction. Now, you always gotta stand in truth. You do, parent. You got, no, you got no stronger place to stand. You gotta stand with what God says is right and what's wrong. You gotta stand in that truth. But while you are consistently standing in that truth, you are looking for strategic opportunities to demonstrate Grace. It is the greatest weapon you have. Because your kids aren't going to get it all right. I don't care how many times you make them recite the verses. They're not going to get it all right. They are sinners just like you. And so you stand in truth. You try to be consistent. You try to teach them the right things to do. When they don't do those things, you got to hold them accountable. But in the meantime, you are looking for strategic opportunities to demonstrate grace Just like God has done for you out in the field. And he said to you, live. That's what you're looking. Opportunity that they will see. Be affectionate. That seems so simple, but today I feel like it it needs to be affectionate with your kids. Be compassionate with your kids. Be sensitive with your kids. Let them see Your tears. Come on, don't be afraid to let your kids see your tears. Be joyful with your kids. Make your home a joyful place. Let them see you laugh. Reward them when they do well. But make sure you say it extra slow when they fail. I love you. And always let them feel your arms. Let them feel your arms wrapped around, holding tight. Don't show them that you don't worship them, because your kids are not the center of the universe. They are not to be worshipped. Show them you don't worship them. But show them that you'll give your life for them because of the one who is the center of your universe. His name is Jesus. And here's what the good news of Jesus is. He died for sin. He was buried. Third day he arose. Show them by your actions that what matters to them matters to you. And that sometimes what matters to them matters more to you than what's most important in your world. You say, I don't know if it is. (laughs) Then it's time to ask God to make it so. It's time to ask God to craft your heart that such could be the case that what matters to them is what matters to you. Daddies, I don't know any other way around this. There is such a piece of this that's supposed to start with us. It does not mean that moms are any less. It does not mean that, that moms are any less valuable. We're going, we'll, we'll talk about some of that next week. We're going to celebrate the, how God designed and the power of some of that. But there's just no question in Scripture, gentlemen, this is one of those places God calls us to lead. Remember Jeroboam's family? Do you find it interesting that God said, We're going to wipe out all the females? Isn't that interesting? He he holds the men accountable. And there's a part of this, guys, where I got... If you've never thought so before, I, I pray that after story after story that I have shared with you this morning, that you would recognize how God sees these little ones. A question that I would pose to you today... A question would be, uh, what, is, what is one, one step that, that you could take that enables your kids to better see who Jesus is? Like, what's one step? What's one step you could take? That will lead your kids to start seeing even better who Jesus is. And and a conversation that I would love to to, to see happen, and this could actually happen in some of the places where folks are meeting today. I, I would love to hear parents share with parents and just maybe grandparents share, like what were some of the things you learned that were keys to getting to their heart? Because it's one thing to learn how to teach some info. It's another thing to, to be held accountable If I need to model this better. But what were some things that you learned to get to their heart? Because if you don't get to their heart, they're soon gonna discount whatever that instruction is. Jesus wraps up this scene like this. Verse 17. Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What's he saying? Well, how do do these kids get into the kingdom? Well, it's obviously their moral achievements. No. It's obviously their religious activity. No, they're babies, right? It's obviously, it's their knowledge and their obedience to God's law. Nope, that's not what got them in. It's their devotion to him. No, that's why these children provide the best illustration of how you come to Jesus. It's grace. God's grace invading your life when you know you have done nothing to earn it. You have achieved nothing morally, achieved nothing spiritually, achieved nothing religiously that can merit you being called God's kid, but he reached toward you. And so like a child, that's the info. Like a child, simple, trusting, dependent, weak, lacking any achievement, you come to the kingdom. Isn't it amazing that God picked the way that it's actually possible we all could get in? Isn't it amazing that he picked the way that we all could get in? And he says, if you don't come that way, though, There is no entry. We only come like a child. It's simple, it's trusting, it's dependent, it's weak, it's lacking. But we come to him. There is an image for me that most encompasses, I think, the the heart, the picture of what Jesus paints for us today. I loved it. As a parent, I love it as a grandparent. That baby sometimes rolls across the floor, sometimes crawls across the floor. Eventually they get to where they can sort of stumble across the floor. And they come to where I am. And with one move, one move, Theo now attaches one word to that, up, up, today, Jesus is calling you. This is what it looks like. I can't get to you. But you can get to me. I don't have the strength to climb to you. Will you take me? Today, my prayer is that this, this is forever the condition of our heart, no matter how long you follow Jesus up, no matter how many things it, it appears that I've been a part of in the kingdom of God, no matter how many things it appears that I've seen God do, no matter how many things and way God's let me serve or whatever, this is still my only position before him. God, I got nothing to bring here that deserves anything from you. But your grace, I call up. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray for us. And then I want to invite you. I want to invite you to approach him this way. God, 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 I want to start just praying for families, for parents, God, who have experienced what it is to lose a little. God, you know there's not much harder of a moment than to stand in a cemetery with a mom and a dad and a little bitty casket. The reminder of how broken this old world is. And this is why we need a Savior who makes all things new. And God, I am praying for families who have lost little ones that today, God, the truth of what we have visited in your word, God, that it would do something within our hearts that even though we still grieve, God, even though there is still a sadness of loss, God, we get to walk away from here today not wondering how you view our babies, We don't have to wonder how you view our children. And God, today we are declaring thank you for such grace and thank you for such love. God, not not only is it true of you, but God, you would tell us the story, a story after story where we can read it today, God, and we don't have to guess. We know how you see our little ones. And God, today I ask your blessing. I pray your comfort. I pray for peace. God, I pray for families who have lost. God, all the miscarriages. God, today would you wrap your arms around May we feel your arms today. And then God, I pray for parents and grandparents and Churches, God, that we would get this right in how we love our children, God, I pray that as we leave today that God you will continue to speak to us, God that you will draw to our minds our attention ways, God things that we can do that that help our kids better understand how great you are, God help us to model it right, God help us to do, and God will you give us access to hearts and then God I thank you for the anchor we have access to your heart and right now God will you help us to reach and then God when we leave today will you help us to reach God, all this week and all the junk that people will deal with, all the disappointments, all the hurts, but God, also in the joy and in the victories, God, may we always reach up. And I thank you for being our God who lifts us up, who wraps us up, who brings us in and who never lets us go. In the name of Jesus, I thank you today. Amen.